Konitanata, is South African journalism broken? Because the last two weeks on Twitter, you even went back onto Twitter. You never go on Twitter and you arose to have a fight with Zeke Simdar. <laughs> is South African journalism in crisis? Because judging by the fight that happened on Twitter just the other day, no, not the fight, the monster mega earthquake, seismic on the Richter scale, tsunami, devastating mess, chaos fight that happened amongst some of South Africa's most iconic, leading, powerful, incredible journalists. The fight that they had the other day on Twitter makes us wonder, is South African journalism in crisis? So before I tell you about this fight and we dig into the issue with South African journalism, let me tell you about who's going to be on the episode today. Kwanita Hunter is one of South Africa's most prolific and exceptional young journalists. She's one of the youngest and most respected editors in the country. She's currently assistant editor at News24 for Politics and Opinion. She's a massive deal. And in this episode of The Issue, she's going to be speaking with me about the state of South African journalism right now and speaking exactly to most of the huge contentions that were put out and debated over by South Africa's best journalists the other day. So strap in, because this is a big one. If you want to watch Juanita in conversation with me, you can go across to YouTube. As you know by now, every single episode of The Issue with Dan Corder is right here on podcast. And also there's a video version for you to catch elsewhere. So, what happened on Twitter the other week? Well, I'm sure you're aware by now of the horrific tragedy that was the building fire in the Johannesburg CBD where over 70 people lost their lives, many more were injured. And out of that story came a bunch of wild allegations and self-interested claims from different public figures, mainly politicians, some blaming illegal immigrants and some blaming NGOs and some blaming crime lords in the Joburg CBD some blaming different political parties and people. Every single one of these politicians and public figures who threw out a narrative had a self-interested motive for what they were saying to advance one of their own agendas. So the next day, iconic South African journalist and broadcaster Rudy Klaube, writer of one of the most important books of the modern era of South African public life, just recently host of the breakfast radio show of the BBC World Service, a radio station that broadcasts around the world in hundreds of countries to hundreds of millions of people. She came out on Twitter, which I will continue to call Twitter, not X, because I'm not a child. And X is just ridiculous. And also, Elon, you may have bought Twitter last year, but Twitter has been ours for a decade or more long before you came around and put your sweaty paws on it. So Twitter is ours, and we're going to continue to call it Twitter. Reedy Clubby came on Twitter and lambasted, rinsed, laid into most of the journalists who were frontline reporters at the building fire. The people who held up the mics to quoted and interviewed all of these politicians and public figures. Reedy Klaube said that all of these reporters were just glorified microphone stands, holding the mics up and copy-pasting the words of all of these self-interested, questionable politicians and public figures. She said that these reporters failed fundamentally to do their jobs. They failed to ask hard questions and the right questions of all of these politicians. They failed to do decent research to be able to counterclaim against the nonsense that some of these politicians said. And Rudy Klaube and others who joined her 
particularly of her generation, said that this made a tragedy so much worse because the narrative, the story that came out of this tragedy was wrong and cruel and damaging. So that's what she said. Many older, experienced, respected journalists joined her in this exact public critique of the young reporters and journalists. But then there was a huge outcry and backlash from many of the journalists who are currently on the beat, on the front lines of journalism in South Africa today. They said to Rudy Tlaibi and others, you have no idea what it is like to be a journalist today. Times have changed for when you were on the beat yourselves. 15, 20 years ago in journalism, you could get paid well. You could spend time really working on stories, gathering all the information you needed, calling the right people and making sure that your investigations were perfect. But these days, modern journalism is radically underfunded, under-resourced. Journalists are overworked and burned out. Journalists today, the young journalists said, are competing with the whole internet, with the speed and momentum of social media and the digital realm. Young journalists are expected to put out dozens of articles a week. They are judged on the clickbaitness of the articles, how many clicks these articles get, how many comments, how many read-throughs. They are not getting paid enough to do this, and they literally don't have the time to do all of the work that you older legendary journos could do when you were on the beat. Reedy and co. responded by saying, but we just, like, the reporters were there anyway. We just wanted them to ask basic, hard, tough, scrutinizing questions. That is not an unreasonable expectation. It's literally their jobs. They were on the scene. They were holding the microphones, taking the quotes. What would it have taken for them to just do thorough jobs and clap back against and really, really take on the politicians who were talking nonsense? So that was the fight. And this now is the conversation with Juanita Hunter about whether or not there is a crisis in South African journalism. And this conversation is really important because when journalism in a country is in trouble, that country is not in a good way. Let's get into it. Okay, Quanita Hunter, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this and you are not obligated, but would you like a beanie of for course, the interview? Would you like a beanie course, for the interview? Of course. Do you want one of the core casts? Like you can have one of these or I've got a vote one, which Musi Mamana gave me. I don't know if that compromises your independent. I'm here for the purple. Okay, there's also... Um, okay, we could green. Let's the load-shedding beanie. Let's do the load-shedding beanie. Would you yes, put it on? <laughs> yes, let's do the load-shedding beanie. Nobody's worn the load-shedding beanie before. That's let's very do, good. Let's do the lo- I mean, we are load-shedding. I'm so appreciative of you putting it on. Listen, listen. Shine bright. So for those of you who don't know, the uh, coverage uh, by gener- many different media outlets of the tragic uh, building fire that took 76 or 70, 70, 77 lives in Johannesburg was ripped to shreds by iconic South African broadcaster Rudy Klaubi, journalist. She's in Washington right now. She used to be on the BBC World Service Breakfast Show, where she essentially said that South African journalism has fallen into an extremely sorry state because journalists are basically not asking hard questions or doing research. They, I, I think in, in not so many words, she described journalists as being glorified microphone stands for politicians and people to just talk. And she kind of deplored the loss of great journalism in South Africa. And it caused a really extraordinary intergenerational fight amongst the South African journalism scene, like Tabo Baloy, who's the newsreader and journalist on Five, was coming and it was like personal and hot. What was it like amongst the journos last week in this huge fight? So I don't play in Elon Musk's uh, backyard called X. (laughs) I I hate it. It is the ghetto. Uh, You hardly find me there. There was a time where 
probably eight hours of the day uh, I would spend on Twitter. But I think it was important for me to say something, not in response to Reedy or not in response to anyone in particular, but to talk about the attacks on young journalists and and the efforts to to make it about the juniorization of newsrooms, number one. And number two, to dig in on how mental health of journalism is at stake when you see this mass bullying as I saw it. Now, let's move away from what Rudy particularly said or what anyone particularly said. This is my principal position. Journalism in South Africa is not broken. Why? Journalism in South Africa is lauded among the best in the world. Our investigative journalism is top tier. It's world awarded by like international excellence Absolutely. You go to any editor's conference, journalism conference, South Africa is the benchmark. Mm. I go to places across the continent to preach about how we have gender parity in our newsrooms and we have a good gender balance in, 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 in South African newsrooms. We are among the best, right? So this thing of flogging an entire industry based on one or two examples, one or two examples which I can opine that is actually ill-fated because it's not, it's not a true sample of, of the state of journalism. A clip of an interview on Twitter is not a reflection of an entire broadcast, let alone a reflection of an entire industry. Let me paint a picture, Dan. Journalists in South African newsrooms face unprecedented challenges, right? Number one, the industry is recovering from the post-COVID pandemic. The industry is having huge issues around sustainability, particularly because of what big tech has done to disrupt the media landscape. And thirdly, journalism is is facing a a huge uh, credibility crisis because of some of the big mess-ups that have happened in the past. For example, the rogue unit, the decouplets, you can name them, right? But there's this lazy analysis that the problem with South African media is the juniorization of the newsroom, right? Which I think, on the back of it, is absolute BS. For those watching who don't know what juniorization of the newsroom is, the idea is that newsrooms are becoming incredibly young and inexperienced because older, wiser, more experienced legendary heads are leaving for broadcast or communications positions. There's a lack of skills or expertise or like basic know-how in the newsrooms. And as journalists get younger and have less apprenticeship, basically, and development, they're just getting worse. My thing is this. Is there a problem with exodus of skills in the newsroom? Yes. The numbers show that people are leaving. It's not sustainable enough. But blaming all our problems on the lack of training doesn't take you anywhere. And my, my point is this. It's It's the public flogging in a public space, in a shabine like Twitter or X, doesn't have any meaningful meaningful, um, consequential benefits. benefits. So so let me tell you, are these problems that we've, we've identified? Of course. Young journalists need training. Young journalists need support. Young journalists need tools. At the South African National Editors Forum, there's a little bit more of a preemptive approach where we're saying, Let's go around. We're literally having workshops every week on different things, whether it's mental health workshops, whether it's election training workshops, whether it is budget 
reporting workshops to empower journalists. We've just launched a fellowship uh, with Deloitte for, for business reporting, right? So the point is this. When you are in a position of power, when you're in a position of authority, when you're in a position of skills, why would you want to burn the house down when you actually have something to contribute to help extinguish the fire to just you know, continue the metaphor. Okay, so what you're saying is people like Rudy Klaubi, when they come out with these vicious criticisms, almost in a tonal way, like a how-it-was-done way, it doesn't yield any benefit and just allows a public piling on and maybe a damaging of the credibility of journalism as a whole because it's this indictment of the whole thing. Absolutely. And so what is, and, and I mean, the way it was interpreted, and again, I don't want to confine this conversation around a Twitter spat because I think people can share their opinions. And I think she's right to share her views. But at the same time, you, we have to listen to the views of people in, in the newsrooms where there was a very legitimate response to say, yes, you know, the mic was put before Colleen uh, uh, Makubela, who made some bizarre claims, but it was counted in subsequent bullets, bu- bulletins. It was, you know, fact-checked. If you look at what News24 did in terms of deep reporting, I mean, this was a fire. You're sending young reporters there. Reporters that probably the day before were in anything from court cases to protests, you send whoever's available to run to a fire scene. Yeah, that's part of the problem, though, I think, is that it's like there's this, it's always been in journalism, but I think it's heightened now because first article out is generally the best or most influential article, most read article out. So I imagine you're just trying to get someone there as soon as possible. Yeah, but but let me tell you, Dan, like this sort of sweeping generalization of like, Everyone wants to be first. And most newsrooms have had moments of reckoning where they realize the importance of, of quality, the mm-hmm. importance of, of accuracy. All I'm saying is that, yes, mistakes are made, but you have to analyze it from the complete, complete picture. Is it a problem to stick microphones in the, uh, in the face of politicians who are completely crass? Of course it is. But truthfully speaking, was that all of the sum of the coverage of the day? No. That's fair. Right? And so my, my thing is this. The coverage of the fire, does it give an opportunity to train young journalists in crisis reporting? Yes. Absolutely. People who are making the criticism can be the ones facilitating those workshops, right? Because if everybody's shouting, who's actually doing the teaching? Because those are the teachers, that older generation. That's why I said, to be honest... You can't blame young journalists for coming into a broken house. It's it's what they found, what we found, I'm saying they, what we found, right? So the idea is you cannot blame the person who hasn't been trained for not being trained. Somebody must train them. So if I'm sending a reporter with no with no uh, uh, experience, experience yeah. into the field, that's on me. Yeah, so this was a big chat that came out is like, because, look, I do understand the perspective, and a lot of people then said this about Rudy Klaubi and Zexam Dunn, all of these other people, that, like, because some people were saying, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, to be clear, but some people were saying, like, ah, oh, but, like, you should have just, like, emailed the journalist directly or the editors directly. And I don't really hold with that uh, because you should be able to, as you said, tweet what you like. Sorry, Steve Buko. I'm sorry to put Elon Musk's <laughs> nonsense into Steve Buko's quote or his uh, book title. But you should be able to, if you are an industry stalwart, go out there and agenda set to a public what they should expect from an industry. Yeah. And I think all journalists do that. All yes. journalists come out and they say, this is what we want for journalism. But one of the things was, why do you criticize the young journalist instead of criticize 
the handful of bad ed- editors who just want the click soundbite and, and to be first, or the handful of media companies who are so, I guess, profit clickbait driven that they don't have quality priorities. They've got speed and quantity priorities for news stories. Or what if your experience, I don't know if the person in question covered a fire or, 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 or Zegzimda covered, you know, or, or, but what if you offer like a thread of, for journalists covering FOIs, Things journalists covering the fire, like my, my little tidbit, take, take it or leave it. Can I, can I say to you what I draw exception to? It's not the criticism. You can criticize. But just think about it like this. Reporters that went to that fire were underprepared. They probably pulled shifts that we could not even imagine. You are dealing with this volatile situation where literally politicians are dancing behind cameras waiting for that soundbite. And there are 76 bodies and a burning building. Yeah. And there's blood where you're sitting and your editor's screaming for the latest and it's, it's, a lot is happening. Just the mental health consideration of covering a fire is massive. I'm not saying that that is a cop-out. An excuse, yeah. To, 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 uh, uh, from general criticism in terms of, you know, don't amplify the voices of, of politicians. All I'm saying is that you are creating a situation where young journalists who are trying their best are literally just being flogged and are getting disillusioned when you need them to be hungry. You need them to want to, because who's going to do it, right? If those journalists be like, you know, I'm being criticized, I'm tapping out, or you don't win, you know, that, that thing of you don't win, who's going to do the work? Yeah. So the idea is there is a mentoring space, there is a teaching, it was a teaching moment and that was squandered because I don't believe that those journalists at the scene were not trying their best. Mm-hmm. Could they have done better in certain aspects? Of course. But those within the fraternity, we have to do everything we can to not pour gasoline on a burning house. Yeah, you and don't want journalists to be fearful. I mean, there are a lot of things for journalists to fear in their jobs by nature, but you don't want them to fear getting publicly humiliated and criticized and having their names tarnished. Like I think Heidi Gokos has now had a horrible time in the last few days because it was just kind of assumed that the bigwigs, whether they were talking about her specifically or not, and Rudy Klavi came out and said that she thinks Heidi has done great work before, so maybe not really, but like the... But you see, that's, that's my, that was my point, Dan, is mm. that by having, you know, big names sort of add their voice to this, this ugly criticism, it, it can be distorted into so many ways, it becomes, a, 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 a diversion. It's a new story in itself. Yeah, and it's stupid, right? Particularly because, I mean, in my newsroom uh, at News24... Uh, Alex Petrick did phenomenal work. She literally got a report of the blow by blow of what happened in the nine hours it took to to put out that fire. She spoke to victims, Belinda, uh, um, our colleague here. I mean, they worked tirelessly. Ivan, you know, footage, getting going to CCTV. And I mean, the same for with other newsrooms. Real journalism was done. But the criticism that comes from an isolated clip and makes judgment of an entire industry is unfair and is destructive. So my thing is this. Let's, let's, well, what's the lesson of it? The lesson of this is lift as you rise. Lift as you rise. Nobody is the custodian of South African journalism. You may have views on it, but work to better the situation, sure. which is why 
We literally have editors, Patiswa, who used to be the SABC head of news, going around the country, literally doing mental health workshops with SADC, you know. Sanef saying to, to, sending a note to editors, guys, debrief your journalists. Mm-hmm. You literally, in the beginning of the year, you had a Boxburg a gas explosion. Then you had the Rhodes crazy explosion in Joburg. Now you have this fire. Then there was another fire. Journalists are severely traumatized. And then it's, then it's resulting in the, in the core problem, which is people leaving the industry. And we're having to take uh, uh, university graduates and send them to serious, big, massive stories because there's no one else to do the job. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do? We need to beat people up who are already beaten up. No. What we need to do is we need to handle them with care, see how we can assist them, and influence a change if a change is necessary. I was on air uh, doing the radio show when this was happening. So it was in the first bulletin, 6 a.m. There was a big story about the fact the mayor was only arriving at 8.30, uh, and it was unclear what was happening. But what I watched unfold in real time uh, with the WhatsApp line and also on social media, particularly on the hellscape or the muskscape, is um, the immediate bot brigade and the immediate fake news peddlers kick into gear. And what I thought straight away, and it's, look, I was... I knew immediately once I'd seen this fire, it involved a hijacked building, it involved people who may or may not have been South African, but there was this time gap before anyone came out and said, no, there are some South Africans in the building, but they are also immigrants and we don't know if they're illegal or illegal. How can we know? Hmm. Like we haven't checked. But there was this window of three, four hours where everyone was reading, ah, hijacked building, Nigerian crime lord, illegal immigrants, these illegals, they need to go out. The xenophobia thing Mm. happened immediately. And that's why, and I'm not being hard on journalists who didn't prioritize this, and I know some newsrooms did, but I just thought to myself, and look, it's very easy to say this, I wasn't going to see 76 bodies and fight with self-interested politicians who are very good Mm. at twisting narratives, but I thought to myself, the one question that has to be answered immediately is, or at least one thing that has to be said is we don't know if these are immigrants or South Africans. Mm. We, and that's not because like, that's what we need to prove. But that is the narrative that the truth, which is the project of journalism, the truth mm. we all know is fighting against. And so what saddened me, not just about the Colleen Makubela clip, is that I didn't for a long time see the majority of newsrooms just say the simple thing. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Sure, there were some interviews with a Zimbabwean or Malawi. Mm. We don't know. There were South Africans in that building. Mm. And... I knew that politicians would say something like that. And for me, I just wish, and it, again, as you said, we can't slander a whole industry, but like, I wish every journalist there's first point would have been that or first question would have been that. 100% taken. But also, let me tell you, the important bit of recording these out-of-touch, self-interested, you know, selfish politicians is that you have them on record. Yeah, that's true. We know what Kumbuds and Chaveni thinks now. We know where Hermit Bishapa stands. Mm. And that's superbly important. Yes, when it's false narratives and fake news, you have to counter it and, 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 and fact check it in real time. But I get your point that, you know, the, the, the main thing was to not, to not spur on xenophobia. Can I just caution you to say that social media really is not a good reflection of the conversation? Agreed. And any analysis or judgment based on what the most talk, the biggest talking point is, you would think Pusisiwem Kabane is a hero mm-hmm. if you have to judge Twitter mm-hmm. because it's distorted. Mm-hmm. And 
we come from Bal Pottinger and the Gupta, so we should know better. And that's why I feel like some of the analysis around the South African media landscape is lazy. Because actually there are serious things that have to be dealt with. I mean, we're talking massive issues around media sustainability. We're talking about community newspapers that journalists who don't have money to go on stories, so sources pay their taxi fee for them to go on stories. And you had to do that in your own personal journey at a stage, right? The hustle of, of trying to build, of trying to like, you know, pursue the story when you don't have the resources that you need. The South African media landscape is not what it was. It's not as flush. It's not as resourced. You're literally sending out reporters to potentially life-threatening scenes. There's a gas explosion. We don't know if the air quality is safe, but go there with your cell phone and nothing else. You're lucky if you get a little uh, um, power bank. Do you you understand the the level of of what, what it is that journalists have to contend with? All I'm saying is this. Hitting each other Mm. suits the politicians. 100%. When we're busy fighting and mauling each other, they can continue with their disinformation and their misinformation. And they can talk about journalists disagreeing and some journalists not being good. Yeah. And then they can continue talking their their crap. Because what happens is the journalists that are going there are afraid and all of these things. So I completely take your point about... Social media not being real life, 100%. And the conversations happening on social media not being real life. My concern, and I will also say again that I think that this might be an unfair burden to place on journalists in like breaking new contexts, uh, or rather breaking news contexts in crime scenes or whatever. But my concern, particularly when I read long comment streams, and it's on TikTok and it's on Instagram, is that very often the clarifying fight back, if it's not in the first clip, no one gets that clip. And that must be a very hard thing for journalists to wrestle with because um, uh, who? Gates and McKenzie will say mm-hmm. it's all the immigrants and then maybe, I can't remember if he's, he's one of these peddling this, but he's like, oh, it's the NGOs and the NGOs mm-hmm. are the problem. And that video gets distributed. And then forget about the Twitter back and forth commentary, the tweet to tweet that happens. That video gets distributed and the, the clarifier content to follow from journalists does not get the same reach. And then that's facts. And I, I know that that makes it a very, very unfair burden to place on journalists. But you would hope that like, I mean, Sakina Kamwendo did a great interview mm. with Gates McKenzie four months ago where she took him to task in the moment. So sure, the clip can go out, mm. but it's got that context. Just wait, you might be wrong. Just wait, you might be wrong. Just wait, you might be wrong. And it must be really hard to be a journalist right now, mm. thinking that you need to actually somehow do that in the interview at the very beginning. We have to contend with the fact that we need to be right before we need to be first. And sure. that's, that's the difficulty. Sure. We um, had to do the Mkwebane hearings, the Basisi Mkwebane uh, hear- impeachment hearings, where a whole lot of absolute lies were said almost every single day. It was... Overwhelming. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. And Jan Gerber, our reporter in Parliament, sat with a live update. And every time he recorded that Darling Pofu said X, would fact check him in the moment yeah, and say, to. but actually the court said Y, mm. or actually this is what the law said. Uh, yesterday, for example, um, Paul Mashatile was mm. before Parliament and he said he can't talk about his bodyguards beating up uh, people because the matter sub decay, right? So you'd report, as a young reporter, you'd be like, Paul Mashatile said it's sub decay. 
But Jan was like, it's an archaic law. The court ruled that parliament cannot use subjudicate to uh, circumvent accountability. Da, 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 da. He's using it to dodge the question. Yeah. No, sure, sure, sure. But you have to say it, and again, you have to do it in the moment, in the context. So you're absolutely right. The burden of the truth is so much heavier now. But I, I have never, ever seen any successful effort to correct when it comes with the whipping. Mm. I've, 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 I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. It, creates, it only creates fear. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change behavior. For sure. I may be wrong, but my approach is more constructive, which is why Monday morning or Monday afternoon in our SANF meeting, we said, guys, let's send out uh, this thing, remind people we have resources, get reporters into, we're having a, a workshop coming up soon. Um, you know, these are the tools. Empowerment. For sure. Lift as we rise. 100%. Like, I know that sounds cliche, but. No, it's great. Who's going to do, who's <laughs> going to do the work? Are you going to do the work? Uh, I'm going to sit here with my microphone. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. I completely agree with you. Final question, and this is um, because I think that we've really dealt with like the, the 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 scandal, but now I'm just interested because of the rise of video and the rise of live and that um, has it caused a weird thing where journalists now feel pressured to be good performers of live interviews in the moment because the shift of a kind of reporting on the story has gone to what's the video clip. Whereas I guess before there was a greater maybe variety. I could be wrong. I'm, that's what I'm asking. But like a greater co- a variety of journalists. Some who ask the questions and then go write and research. But people are now very, very beholden to the video with the faces talking. So I think that the immediacy of journalism has changed things a lot, right? So it's in the now. There's no time to contextualize. There's no time to package. There's no time to, to, to put things into perspective because... Mm-hmm. Everyone's rolling everything live, yeah. right? And that creates massive challenges, right? So, for example, the decision to take a Julius Malema press conference live when you know there's going to be misinformation spread. What sure. is the editorial decision that, that has to... The, the pressure on journalists are at an all-time high because this pressure is from different uh, quarters. So the pressure to... To, to, to go viral, mm. the pressure to ask the tough question, the pressure to, to first of all, to get the, the, the newsmaker to speak to you. All of these things are superbly important and very different to when even I started or, 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 or our predecessors there. Which makes me think quite carefully when older stalled heads who came up in like the mid-2000s or whatever have hot takes because... Sure, like intellectually, they might know that these are now the challenges, but experientially, they actually don't know in a real way what it is like to be a journalist in South Africa today. Yeah, and you, you, you cannot ask anything of the Joburg mayor because literally he has a whisperer a fixer, uh, yeah. on the one hand and a, you know, someone on the other hand trying to, 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 to block. Keep him safe. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. But, but also to, to block him from, from literally even looking in the direction of journalists. And when he Sorry, does. that's what I mean. Keep him safe from the journalists. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but also, you know, talking heads, like literally whispering in his ears as he talks to the media. These are things we've never experienced before. Yeah. Um, and so my thing is this. The landscape has changed. Everything's quicker. Everything's faster. Yes, there has to be a realization that the tenets of journalism must remain, which is free and fair, 
um, uh, you know, no prejudice, ethical journalism, all of those things are never going to die. Okay. The mediums might change. You're going to have to do your work a little faster. I mean, there are some journalists who literally say they would go out, Dan, sit the whole day in council, mm. right? Write their story in a book, <laughs> go to the call box, phone the newsroom at five o'clock, send that one single 400-word story, right. and then go to the pub. Wow, that's a nice life. <laughs> Do you know what is the re requirement? I am an editor that assigns journalists to council. You go to council. You must have a live blog, mm -hmm. meaning minute-by-minute minute update. You must shoot picture of when they're mooring each other. Mm. I'm allowed to say mooring. Please say, say it again. <laughs> I love that. This is the internet. <laughs> right? So you have to get a picture. You have to get a video of... Uh, 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 um, Hot moment. Of, yeah. of Kenny Kenene, uh, you know, sipping on mue in the middle of a, of a, of a council sitting. You have to um, then write the breaking news story that says council decides X... And you have to run to the door to get a doorstop right. so that you can have an exclusive for tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Dude. Mm, it's completely different. Dude, yeah. it's not a joke. No, you're right. And so just don't burn the house down. Mm -hmm. Let's fix it. It's, it's fixable. All right. That was the issue with South African journalism with Quanita Hunter. Thank you so much for Quanita for giving us her time. We really appreciated all of her answers and arguments and perspectives. And now we want to know what you think. You can let us know in all the different social medias that we're at. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, please like, subscribe and follow. Again, you can go and check out this conversation on video, every single episode, video and podcast on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And follow us so you don't miss a thing because the new episode the next episode of the issue with dan corder is out next week see you soon